having called the longest playoff game in modern NHL history, a five-overtime win for the Flyers, longtime TV voice Jim Jackson remembers the funny moments from that night. Uh, I can still remember it so clearly. Some certain instances, Coatsy spilling his soda all over my notes, and my notes now, are, <laughs> I still have them, but they're all waterlogged. And, and Dorney, after like the third overtime, they'd, they'd rush some pizzas up to us, and he had a little sauce right here. I noticed it in the stand-up <laughs> as I'm looking at him. <laughs> the weird things you remember, but... Remembering the weird and the wonderful with Flyers Generational TV boys Jim Jackson next on Fresh 24. Jim Jackson, legendary Flyers voice, former Phillies baseball voice, multiple award winner, husband, family man. It's been a great ride, brother, hasn't it? It really has, Zoo, and great to see you and get the chance to talk with you. Uh, we were... Uh, Voices of the two teams together for so many years. Uh, I miss you. Uh, I absolutely Thanks, miss brother. you on the air. Kate does a great job, but but uh, still miss uh, hearing your your uh, dulcet tones. But uh, it's been a great ride, and I still have a little bit more in me, I think. But uh, so far, so good. 31 years now, I guess. Wow. Well, we're going to talk about that. But is it sometimes surreal to think that you're making a living as the voice of an NHL team, you did some baseball as well. Just the fact that we have that privilege. I know for me, it was surreal. How about you? Every single day that I have a game to do, first of all, it's a great day. My feet hit the ground and I know it's a great day. And my first go. one in a while comes up here shortly. So um, that's awesome. But you, in, in more general, more uh, you know, looking at the whole world perspective, absolutely. Um, I especially, as, as you did, you did some broadcast coaching. I, I'm doing that right now. And when I talk to these kids and I see where they're at, it obviously brings me back to where I was back then. And um, I didn't really think I was going to get here. Uh, doubts, of course. I was, uh, you know, I had a graduating class of 73 people in my high school class. I was in a small town in upstate New York. Uh, People kind of laughed at me when I said I, I wanted to do this. And inside, well, I, I certainly had to have some kind of confidence to keep doing it. Uh, inside, I wondered if I was crazy too. So yeah, absolutely. Um, it's awesome. I, I guess the the surreal part of it is, and I, I was just noticing this the other day, because uh, every year or two, eh, two or three years uh, before the Flyers season starts, I'll dive back into their history just to brush up. Uh, they have a couple of books that the late, great Jay Greenberg wrote, uh, Full Spectrum, and and then the second one of that uh, series, which really is a great history of the Flyers. So I'll read through that again. And I was just realizing the other day, you know, I've now been here longer than the Flyers had been around when I came here. Mm. And I, I can't I can't wrap my arms around that because when the Flyers won their Stanley Cups, I was a kid in upstate New York. And... It just seems like so long ago, yet when I came here, 1993, 
that doesn't seem as long ago. Yeah, right. And it's longer. So, uh, you know, it's 31 years. And to that point, I think the Flyers were somewhere around their 25th anniversary. So that part, Zoo, is beyond surreal. But to your point, just being able to do this, I mean, we get to and you you got to uh, watch some of the best athletes in the world do what they do, describe it. And oh, by the way, they pay you for it. Yeah, pretty good gig. You say you're from upstate New York, but many people don't even know that. They just think of you as being part of the Philly sports fabric. When did you make that transition when you felt like, all right, I'm a Philly guy now? Yeah, it was pretty quick. Uh, the, the one thing that I learned when I got down here, which I had already seen from afar, was the passion of uh, Philadelphia sports fans. And um, it didn't take me long because my first year down in when I, I got here was basically in late August, early September 1993. Phillies were in the middle of that remarkable run. The Eagles got off to a great start that season. And even the Flyers got off to a great start my first year. It was like watching the, the enthusiasm that the, the fans had for all their teams. Um, I pretty much felt right about then, like, this is going to be fun. And uh, it didn't take long. Certainly when I, I moved to television just two years later, uh, didn't expect that. Hmm. And then you start doing it. And uh, I absolutely felt like this is home. My wife and I discuss this all the time. Like, you know, we've been here as long as we were up there now. So, uh, you know, it's uh, this is home now for me. You moved to TV after the passing of Gene Hart, who is one of the four yeah. people on my Mount Rushmore I listened to Gene, certainly as a kid. He influenced me greatly for any one of a number of reasons. How did he influence you in the two-plus years that you had to interact with him? You know, he's part of my broadcast coaching almost all the time mm -hmm. because I talk about his preparation. Um, one of my three fundamentals of being a great broadcaster is preparation. And uh, Gene had this, as you know, Zoo, you worked uh, kind of with him and filled in for him a couple mm -hmm. times. He had that big black binder of his, right? The magic book. Yes, pages and pages and mm -hmm. pages of notes. Of course, this is back before computers, but I have a feeling Gene, if he were with us today, would still have the big black binder. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, it took me a month maybe before I finally said, Gene, seriously, I mean, hockey so fast. We talk. I, I try to do a, a good amount of preparation. How do you possibly get any of that? I mean, what percent? He was just waiting for me to ask this question, right? What percentage of that uh, in that big black binder do you actually get in a broadcast? And he had that wry smile. So I knew I had fallen into the trap. And he said, oh, Jimmy, uh, maybe 10%. And, of course, I continued to follow into his trap by saying 10%. I mean, that's 90% of wasted effort. It's not efficient to me. Why would you do that much prep? He goes, ah, but, JJ, I don't know which 10% from one broadcast to the next. And I use that all the time with my students. And from that day on, I mean, I was always someone who worked hard, but I have, uh, and if I go through my preparation in my classes. And I, I see some of the students looking at me like, wow, I'm not, not sure I'll ever do that. Um, the, the one thing, uh, part of that, which I think was the case with you too, is that I love doing it. I mean, preparing for a sporting event to me is fun. So it doesn't seem like work. Do I over-prepare? Do I use around 10 to 15% of what I do? Probably. I think Gene had pretty well nailed that percentage. Uh, baseball, more because you have more time to talk, but but certainly doing hockey, it's it's a small percentage of the prep that I do that, that I use. But I, I think of Gene every time because he had all that prep, and you just never know what's going to happen. I like to say a broadcaster is like an athlete in that 
he goes into or she goes into an event, uh, you need to be feeling good about yourself. And the best way for me to feel like I'm in a, a zone, if you will, is to feel like anything can come my way in this game and I'm ready for it. Now, is that true? Never. Al Michaels got set to do a World Series in 1989 and ended up calling an earthquake. So you can never <laughs> be prepared for everything, right? But you can feel like you are. Mm -hmm. And that's the most important thing. If you feel like you're prepared for anything, you are in that you know, quote unquote zone. And I think any athlete, any broadcaster, anybody doing their job that feels like they're in a zone, they're going to be better. They're going to have that confidence and they're just going to flow. So um, that's why preparation is so important. And that is what Gene really kind of ingrained in me very quickly in my time here in Philadelphia. Uh, he was so prepared. He had all kinds of stuff, as you know. And um, yeah, Gene, and besides that, just his love of what he did. I mean, it, it was... It was his life. He just, uh, and he, he's a, he was a very diverse guy. So don't let me put it out there. It wasn't like hockey. I, I'm, I wish I was as diverse as Gene Hardy. He's a teacher. He knew all these languages. I mean, I uh, basically, I am a sports guy. Uh, I'm not as diverse as, uh, and even close as Gene was. And, uh, but he still loved it. And it was to be around Gene around the rink was when he was at his happiest, right? Same thing with Harry Callis. I mean, Harry Callis, I don't think he ever had a bad day at the ballpark. And I just love sitting there talking with him and my time with him. So uh, I think that's something maybe we all share, but the, the great ones really, and you know, it's, it's their life, it's their passion. And that was certainly the case with Gene. You mentioned diversity and your ability to do Phillies baseball and really do it well for 14 years was an amazing thing. I thought if for any reason you're doing hockey up to and then overlapping into the baseball season and the very second baseball is over, you're doing hockey. When did you rest? When did you vacation? You did that for what, 14 years? That's an amazing feat just in terms yeah. of being able to do it, period. The only breaks of over an all-star break length or either sport in those 14 years were the two Olympics. The NHL broke for the Olympics in 2010 mm. and 2014. I took my family, went to Hawaii. We got, we just got <laughs> way away from everything, but uh, that was it. Outside of that, it was it was basically work, work, work. But uh, it, as you know me, I, I love what I do, so it doesn't seem like work. And I think Zoo, I, I got into a a rhythm where I just did it and did it and did it, and then when I parted ways with the Phils, I all of a sudden in 2020 had a summer and I it was off and. I realized, wow, there's other things to do. <laughs> mm. I can swim. I can golf. I can go on vacations <laughs> over four days. Uh, and I probably didn't realize what I was missing. I mean, I loved what I was doing, so there was no reason for me to explore anything else. I, I missed the, the one regret. Uh, I missed a lot of family stuff, which mm -hmm. uh, and I'm sure you can relate to. I mean, you you miss things that, that uh, other fathers get to do with their kids and uh, with their wives and so their husbands and wives. So that part. I knew while I was doing it, I was missing out on. Um, but the sacrifice was a pretty good paycheck and, and a lot of fulfillment in, in what I was doing uh, professionally. Um, but I do think back to my first one, two, three, four, five years with the Phillies, 07 through 11. That was crazy. You talked about how one sport ran up to the other. But in those those years, both the Flyers and Phillies were, were deep into their playoffs, right? Mm -hmm. And so the crossover in October was the full month of October and the crossover in March, April, May, you know, sometimes with one year actually into June was, was all the way. Uh, so I was doing two sports at once and it was, um, 
I never felt tired because what's happening at that, that time of year? One sport's beginning and the other's ending. So what's happening? Either the beginning of a season, high adrenaline, or playoffs, high adrenaline. So adrenaline always carried me. But I think now to some of the travel, and the Phillies were awesome about this. They, they took care of all my travel because my main gig, obviously, was with the Flyers. And so I was the lead announcer for them. I was a, you know, a fifth or sixth in the chain for the Phillies. Um, so the Phillies came in and said, yeah, if, if we get to the playoffs, we'll fly you. So I remember the first year they made the playoffs in 07, they played Colorado in a, in a best of uh, five. And the first game was in Philly. It was an afternoon game. And it was the day before the Flyers season opener in Calgary. So I looked at it and said, wow, that's going to be a tough Am I going to be able to do this? And yeah, we did it. So I did the game for the Phillies, got on a flight that night, flew to Chicago, slept at the airport, not in the airport, airport <laughs> hotel, and then uh, went from Chicago to Calgary and then did the Flyers game the next day. The mm-hmm. weird part about that was in the afternoon in Calgary, as I'm doing my hockey prep, I had game two of uh, the Phillies. Rockies on my TV. I obviously wasn't able to do that game for the Phillies, but it was so weird having been there 24 hours, less than 24 hours ago doing the game. And now I'm watching the same two teams on TV as I'm getting ready to do a hockey game. It was like, wow, this is really strange. And then the Flyers moved on to Edmonton. And the way it worked is if the Flyers if the Phillies were able to, to win game three of their series in Colorado, I was going to join them for games four and, if necessary, five, because the Flyers had a break in their schedule. And I was literally on the tarmac, and we were supposed to know ahead of time, but if you remember game three, probably don't, but in 07, against, there was an electrical outage at, at Coors Field, and so they had this long delay, and the game got delayed. And I was either going to fly from Edmonton to Denver or Edmonton with the team to Vancouver, but I was on the tarmac. They, the game wasn't over yet. Uh, but I remember as we're taking off, Rob Brooks texted me, enjoy Whistler. The, the Flyers were going to do a team bonding thing in Whistler. So I was going to the team bonding thing. That meant, unfortunately, the Phillies had lost, which they did mm-hmm. in that game three. So <laughs> craziness. And throughout those playoff years for the Phillies, I remember jumping on a, a red eye from San Francisco during the 2010 NLCS, getting back for a Flyers game the next day. Uh, a lot of craziness. And it just, I was never tired. I mean, <laughs> I think back now, how was I not tired? I was doing a lot of prep on the planes and, you know, wherever I could get my prep in, but it was just so much fun. And I have so many great memories from those years with the Phillies and um, so happy I did it. Um, and then the Flyers, I mean, 2010, of course, they went to the Stanley Cup finals. And so it, it was just a, a crazy time. And then both teams went throughout the rest of that decade, uh, you know, went quiet. The, the Phillies were completely out of the playoffs uh, until last year, and and the Flyers would every other year make it but lose in the first round. So those deep runs were gone. And I remember thinking in, in uh, August, uh, September, and sometimes in February, March, all right, I got to gear up. No, I don't really have to gear up. I was just getting ready to switch to the other sport. So it was much more like doing one sport going to the next and not the crossover. And I realized at that point, I miss the crossovers. I miss mm-hmm. having to go back and forth. And uh, uh, these days, uh, at least with the Phillies, it would have been, if I was still working, it would have been back to doing that. But uh, we'll get the Flyers back in the playoffs here too as well. 
Okay, so let's talk Flyers and playoffs. And of course, the five overtime game is something that I know you've addressed uh, many, many times in your career. That occurring in 2000, the Flyers, thanks to Keith Primo beating the Penguins in Pittsburgh. Where does that game stand in all the games you've done, hockey, baseball, and so forth, in terms of being a career highlight? I think Zuit's still number one. I get asked the question, what is my number one, a lot. And there have been some other moments where I think my heart was pounding faster. Um, I was too tired for it to pound too fast in that game. It ended at 2.30 in the morning. But it was such a part of history. It's still the longest NHL game in modern history since the forward pass was allowed. Mm. So, you know, they had a couple back uh, in the 30s and 20s that were longer. But, I mean, if you could, didn't allow forward passing, I don't think you could really compare it. So, um, and they almost, it was almost broken last year. But still, you're looking at such history, Flyers history for sure, um, rivals, it swung the series. Uh, so that's still probably number one. 2010, they had some great moments. I mean, a shootout win over the Rangers in the last game of the season. One team goes into the playoffs, the other team goes home. Doesn't get much better than that. Brian Boucher, my new broadcast partner, makes the save in the shootout. Um, that's my favorite call, mainly because for once in my life, I was a minimalist. I didn't overcall it. I tend to get a little excited and say too much. That time, I, I didn't. A little easier in a shootout. You can prepare yourself for it a little. But um, that was probably what I liked best about a call. But for history, for pure excitement, um, I'd, I'd still go with the Preem's goal, uh, the, the five-overtime game. It was just uh, – I, mean, I can't believe it was 23 years ago now, but uh, I can still remember it so clearly. Some certain instances, Coatsy spilling his soda all over my notes, so my notes now <laughs> – I still have them, but they're all waterlogged. And and Dorney, uh, after like the third overtime, they'd, they'd rush some pizzas up to us, and he had a little sauce right here. I noticed it in the stand-up as I'm looking at him. <laughs> the weird things you remember, but, uh, but that – night was just unbelievable brian boucher also you know part of that he was in net for that game and allowed a goal in the first shot didn't allow another goal for eight periods almost so uh it was a crazy night so that's still up there another one that comes to mind is oh four uh against toronto uh, up there uh double it was in overtime second round jeremy ronick scored after sammy cap and then you may remember was plastered with a hit and he was dazed and confused and trying to figure his way back to the bench primo literally hauling him in with his stick to the bench and then moments later you know ronick jumps on the ice goes down wins the game sends the flyers to the conference finals uh, that call i get a lot of feedback from fans on that that's their favorite call and i mean by the time the goal scored zoo i had no oxygen left mm. so much had been happening for two minutes I hadn't taken enough breaths. Got to remember to take breaths. And mm -hmm. by the time the puck was in the net, I mean, I sounded about five octaves higher. So it's maybe not my favorite call because <laughs> I sound so weird, but people just like the pure excitement of it, right? The genuine um, loss of oxygen. So um, that one's up there too. And of course, the comeback against the Bruins in 2010. And Claude Giroux gave me six gazillion highlights and highlight moments, uh, uh, Eric Lindros. So there's so many, but... Yeah, if you push me up against the wall, it's still 2,000 Keith Primo, five overtimes. That That's the top one. Well, we certainly make it a point to talk about the Sixers on Fresh 24 with Mark Zumoff. We're going to do that. We're going to talk about your road to Philadelphia from humble beginnings in Utica, New York. The son of a veterinarian. But first, my friend, it is time for our halftime segment. 
Ah. I'm going to give you, this is called our six pack. I'm going to give you a choice between two things. You are to choose one and don't overthink it. Are you ready? <laughs> okay. Here we I'm go. I'm ready. So you ever get to a game and your view is nothing close to what you thought it would be? Listen, I get to buy seats now, too. No freebies. So I'm teaming up with Game Time. They have got killer last-minute deals, flash deals. You could check out views from all seats in the venue, and they've got your back with the lowest price guarantee. Listen, if you find tickets for less in the same section and row, Game Time credits you 110% of the difference. They show your total up front. No surprises at checkout. Buying tickets takes two seconds, a couple of taps, and you're done. Philly, let's change the game. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the app, create an account, use the code ZOO for $20 off your first purchase. Remember, terms apply. Redeem the code ZOO, Z-O-O, for your $20 discount at GameTime.co. Philly cheesesteak or soft pretzel? Cheesesteak all the way. Center City or South Jersey? Uh, to visit, I might be overthinking it. No, here. you're overthinking it. Just say all right, it. All right. So I got to say South Jersey. I live in South Jersey. <laughs> okay. Gritty or Philly to fanatic? go out to dinner, go out to the entertainment, maybe, you know, Center City. So. Okay. Gritty, <laughs> gritty, <laughs> gritty or Philly fanatic? Oh, Zoo, you're putting me in a tough spot here. That's a, that's a tie for first. I, I will say uh, right now I'm working for the Flyers, so it's Gritty. There you Gritty's go. Gritty's amazing. His it story was- Good answer. Story, Good answer. Right? Yeah. Good answer. But Fanatic is the best of all time. So uh, uh, it is what it is. Meek Mill right or Hall second Gritty. Meek Mill or Hall and Oates. <laughs> Hall and Oates. Uh, Dr. J Sixers throwback jersey or Allen Iverson throwback. I'm a traditionalist. I got to go back to the doc. Oh man, Liberty Bell or Rocky Steps. Ooh, that's a tough one because I'm a history buff, but. Ah, the Rocky Steps. There I, you I go. So. Okay. Yeah. All right. Time now for my music library. I will give you a handful of artists from my library, and you tell me if you have them in your library or not. Okay. Are you ready? All right. Yep. Lady Antebellum. I do. Lady A now, right? Uh, I guess, yeah. The Temptations. Yeah. I have a couple, yes. The Rolling Stones. Absolutely. Three for three. Soldier Boy. Do not have it. No, not not that one. Joni Mitchell. I have a couple from Joni, but not a, not a, an expansive library. Who's your go-to? Like you just need to get back in that good mood. You'd want to feel good. Yeah, I'm like you want to different moods. Who's the go-to looking for uplifting? Let's say um, that. Okay, I like that. Yeah, a lot of times when I go uplifting, I go way back for some reason. I have great memories of my early days, so I can go back to the Who. Sometimes, um, I, I believe it or not, I like Journey. They were like when I was in high school. So, um, and then, uh, yeah, that, that would be where I'd go with that. Yeah. What kind of a Sixers fan are you? And I say that only because I was a very big Flyers fan. And then in eighty two, eighty three, I became the halftime host for the Sixers, and really just became myopic. I devoted so much time to that that yeah, I really just didn't have the time to devote to the Flyers. But how much uh, do you watch? if at all, any Sixers games. So, yeah, I mean, uh, this last summer, I've been talking a lot about the Sixers because of, of course, the process and the fact that they went through uh, a rebuild of their own. Um, and the Flyers have kind of announced they're in a rebuild, although I would say they actually have been in a rebuild for a year or two. It just wasn't announced. 
you know, the Claude Giroux trade certainly was not a trade for the present. Um, so, uh, but the Sixers, of course, it was famous, the process, right? And so I've had a lot of fans that think the Flyers are going to do what the Sixers did, and they can't. Uh, NHL is a little bit more difficult to do that. Second of all, you know, it's you can tank in the NHL and end up with the, you know, not the top pick. <laughs> so it, it's not probably worth tanking. So it's a different kind of rebuild. Uh, certainly if the Flyers struggle this year and you get close to the trade deadline, they may move guys that are young veterans now for future capital, future picks, things like that. Uh, but I don't see them trying to finish in the bottom five for a higher pick. They don't make some of the signings they did um, in terms of free agents in order to do that. So the rebuild is different from the Sixers in that regard. Uh, but I still think, you know, whether or not the process still goes on with the Sixers, as long as Embiid's here, I think it does. So uh, I think we're all still fascinated to see how it eventually ends. It may have ended the process already, Zoo. You probably know more about that than me. But I guess if Embiid's still here, technically the process is still underway, right? <laughs> yeah, ending the process might be up to the historians. I certainly think yeah. as long as Embiid is playing and playing at a high level the process continues and you know in the eyes of many fans uh, the process is not over until they win a title that's the ultimate objective but I want to talk about more about the Flyers rebuild specifically as it relates to Keith Jones who is your longtime broadcast partner uh, very bright excellent analyst wildly entertaining and funny but does he have what it takes to be the head of an NHL team and if so, why? He absolutely does. And what I like to say about Jonesy is he's he's kind of like a chameleon. He can basically contour himself into whatever role is necessary. I think one of the reasons people may doubt him is they remember him from his days on WIP. Well, the Keith Jones that was in that studio, one lining up against Angelo Cataldi and Al Morgani and all the others, uh, is not the Keith Jones that's sitting in the president's office for the Philadelphia Flyers. I mean, it's the same man, and he has the same humor, but he's that Keith Jones was not showing off what he knew. Uh, he didn't have to. That wasn't his role in that genre. So he can adjust. He adjusted to being my partner. He adjusted to going nationally, adjusted to being in the studio at NBC as opposed to being ice level at TNT. Uh, he was on, uh, he was up in Canada. He was on in, a, in a, a, a draft situation where they drafted fantasy teams, all different sides of Keith Jones. What I will say is he is extremely intelligent, very intuitive, and very uh, adept at observing things that I don't think many hockey people see or at least understand the way he did. I could sit with Jonesy and watch a morning skate and just take in some of his comments about how guys were skating, what they're doing with their equipment, how a goalie was, his body language was, you know, a, a short conversation with a coach, how a coach was interacting with the player, just all these different elements from a simple morning skate where he could find something that he felt might be usable in the broadcast, but also mm. that just was pertaining to where this team was going. And also when we were on the road and we were in the media room, the lunch room, the dinner room, the GMs would come see him. You know, Joe mm. Sackick would come find Keith Jones. Ken Holland mm. would come find Keith Jones, Jim Rutherford. It, it wasn't like Jonesy sought them out. They wanted to know because he saw all the teams as a national broadcaster. So I don't think you could be much more tied in 
than Keith Jones is, other than already having been a general manager or a team president of another team, there was no way he could be better prepared for what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same goes for Danny Briere, who you know, ended a, a brilliant playing career and went down to the low minors and learned about everything about an organization from the bottom up, went to business school. And people tell me that about Danny. He's not prepared. No one could be more prepared for being a general manager than Danny Breer, outside mm-hmm. of, of course, having been a general manager already. Um, and I don't think we wanted the, the Flyers wanted to find another ex-GM. They wanted to see if Danny has uh, learned, and I, I have no doubt that he has. So both he and Jonesy are really well prepared, even though they're not ex-presidents or ex-GMs of teams. They're both eminently prepared. To answer your question, Jonesy's absolutely the right guy. I know how he thinks about building teams. I know he's going to do it. The other thing that Jonesy has is a trait. I think Danny is as well. I don't know Danny as well, obviously, as I know Jonesy. I've known Danny a long time, but he hasn't been my broadcast partner for 17 years. But Jonesy does not care at all about people giving him verbal shots or about negativity toward him. He cares about how Flyers fans feel. He has a a real good feel for that. But he's not going to let the naysayers on social media have any impact on him at all or talk radio or uh, talk shows, whatever. He's just not. It it doesn't bother him. It's never bothered him. He doesn't care. So uh, that, I think, is a really good trait, thick skin to have in his position. I mean, right now it's a honeymoon um, and that's great. They're going to lose games. He's they're they're prepared to, to lose some games as they build this. And while some fans at first say, "Oh, we're ready for the rebuild," well, they got to be ready for some losing too. Jonesy will be able to handle that. I think Danny too, and that's really good for the long term future of the franchise. You mentioned social media. I have to ask you your interactions with social media, and I just know myself it can be great and not so great. What is your feeling about social media and how do you deal with some of the haters? It's such a tough thing, Zoo, because it can be such an asset as far as from a work standpoint. I take uh, I'm not on Instagram nor Facebook. I I guess I'm technically on both, but I I never actually use them. Um, But uh, what used to be Twitter now X I'm on and I used to build lists for each team. I still do. Um, and have the writers and the broadcasters, uh, the team websites all in that list. And that would be where I'd go to as I'm preparing to play that team. I'd I'd catch up uh, somewhat with, with, through that. So it's a great thing to have for that. Um, also, charity, uh, it's a great way to push, uh, you know, GoFundMes that are that – are, you know, legitimate ones. And, and it's such a great thing to get the word out for charities. So there's a lot of good in it. But, yeah, the, the negativity is – really can be daunting. I've already talked with students who've been affected by it, um, bullying and all kinds of things Mm. that go on in social media. I wish there was a way to control it, but what makes it so good also makes it so bad. And it's, it's really tough. I will say when I go on vacation and I get away from social media, my blood pressure goes down. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I feel better. Um, I see why some of these athletes just, they just, Get away from it cold turkey because it, even even though deep inside when someone gives me a shot or gives a, a, a somebody another broadcaster that I know a shot or even one of the flyers and, and you know criticizes them unjustly or whatever, even though I know it's probably somebody who has no knowledge, who is you know, sitting in their basement doing nothing, it still <laughs> hurts. 
It's it's mm-hmm. just, you know, that's the way it is. So yes, you have ways you can block them and, and silence them from you, which is good, but you know it's still out there. So I wish there was a way, Zoo, that, that that part of it could be controlled because the positives of social media are immense as well. And I, I tend to think we're heading in the same direction with not Allen Iverson, but AI, um, because artificial intelligence is here. It's it's growing rapidly, and you have to almost get on the train or be left behind. And there's so much good about it. I just bought a refrigerator yesterday through AI, and it was awesome. I mean, I gave them the information. They came back at me with choices. I made the choice, boom, and the refrigerator's here tomorrow. I mean, mm. it was so good. There are so many good things about uh, AI but there's also some scary things about AI. So I think that's kind of where we're at with social media to a lesser degree, maybe, because AI is a very serious topic into some of the dangers of it, but also some of the benefits of it. So we've got to find ways to hope that our leaders find ways to to regulate them enough that the positives can still shine and the negatives can be dealt with. Who would have thought we would have been talking about buying a refrigerator by way of artificial intelligence? I, I you know yes. what? You never know when you, you open up that can with Jim Jackson what you're going to get. I, what I'd love from you now is just the abridged version. Let's make it 60 to 90 seconds because I've heard a lot of your story about how you got to be you. But in 90 seconds, tell us how you got to be you. Well, grew up, as we mentioned, in upstate New York, small class, and basically wanted to be a sports athlete and knew at a very young age that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> so I, I give myself uh, credit for being a quick study in that regard. So I, I had to find some other way. My father really suggested, broadcast. you're always talking about sports broadcast. Mm-hmm. My father, the veterinarian, my mother wanted me to be a veterinarian and didn't like mm-hmm. the fact that I wanted to be a broadcaster. I fought her all the way to well into my time in Philadelphia on it. Um, but I went to Syracuse, um, great school up there, just an hour from where I grew up, back to Utica, didn't have anything out of school, went to a radio station, said, hey, can I hang around here for a month? They just you know, don't have to pay me, just want to. And they let me do that. Before I knew it, I was riding the board a little bit. I was doing a Polish. I, they let me ride the board for this Polish radio show. I couldn't understand the host or anything, but they let me do that. And that actually led to where I'm at now because mm. uh, trying to keep this in 90 seconds, I think I probably are already over, but um, I've noticed on the weekends, they didn't have sports talk around their sporting events, even though they had a sports talk show all week long. So I actually put a proposal together for a sports talk show on the weekends. They went for it and who else to be the host, but me. So all of a sudden I had a job six months later, the sports director is Tim Roy, who, you know, I'm sure. Voice oh, of the sure. Warriors. Gold State Warriors radio go, voice. Yeah. Yeah. He left to go to Birmingham. He's done quite well. Got to watch Steph Curry here. And, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and then, um, nine months after that, the devils moved their farm team to Utica from Maine. We got the rights. I did six years of AHL hockey and then got the flyers job in 93. So, you know, it, it, I got to Philadelphia via a tape that I'd sent, not knowing anybody, in Philly, it was a, a coach that actually said, send tapes everywhere, not just to where you hear there are job openings. And that's actually the tape that got me the job that I've had for 31 years. So uh, two years doing the radio and then Gene retired and uh, I followed him. I didn't replace him. I followed him. Um, and that's 20. This will be my 28th year of television um, this year. So uh, blessed to say the least, uh, blessed to have unbelievable broadcast partners. Zoo. I mean, you, I know as well had great guys to work with. Um, I mean, Gary Dornhofer, 
was a CBC analyst. That's top level Canada network. Uh, Keith Jones, top level NBC. Bill Clement, ESPN, top level. Brian Boucher is now my partner. He obviously is uh, going to be at TNT and has been at ESPN. Steve Coates did not do the national route, but Steve Coates is Steve Coates. Uh, he's Coatsy. So oh, I have yeah. been blessed with absolutely the best broadcast partners. Um, so, uh, hey. It's it's a wonderful life for me. It's exactly what I wanted to do, and I got to do it for a long time, and hopefully a, a little bit longer. And uh, we'll move on from there, and then join join you in the uh, happily retired ranks uh, in in a couple of years or so. You care to define a little bit longer, or you want to keep that to yourself for right well, now? Well, I, I to be honest with you, when you retired, it had profound impact on me. It completely shocked me. First of all, I had no idea it was coming, and I thought that. We were about the same age. You're actually uh, what, about uh, five or six years you. older. Yeah. yeah, which I didn't know because we started right about the same time. So for some mm-hmm, reason, in my mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, naive mind, that meant we were the same age. But um, so um, when you retired, uh, it, it did. I said, wow, if Zoo's retiring, I can't be too far away from that myself, even though I wasn't feeling it. And then um, other people around me retired to the long time public relations man for the Flyers, Zach Hill, uh, Steve Coates this past year, Brian Cooper, my longtime producer, uh, they have uh, retired. And so when that starts happening, when all the people around you start retiring, you start thinking, wow. But what has also happened is for those 14 years we talked about, I did both sports. I was starting to get a little tired and you retired right as I was ending that. And I um, probably was saying retirement was within a couple of years. But now that I've had three full summers off and I get to do during the summer what I would do in retirement, go on long vacations, golf, swim, just have fun, do a lot of reading, watching movies, all that kind of stuff. I don't have that necessary impulse to retire soon. I also, though, do not ever want to be that guy who is hanging on and is no longer good at what he does. So I have to walk that balance. If I feel like, and I put my son on this alert for me, because my son's very honest with me. He said, if you notice me slipping, because he watches most of the games, you have to tell me. Because, Zoo, we've seen it happen with so many guys. I think we probably would be the last ones to know we're slipping. So we might be the first and the last, if that makes any sense. You Mm -hmm. deep down might know it, but you say, oh, nobody else is noticing it, maybe. So you keep going on. Um, So I won't be that person. But as long as I'm able to do a decent job and continue on and be healthy, um, I I would do this probably for several more years. Um, I also have the old, how is the team doing thing? I mean, it's been now a good decade since the Flyers have been consistently playoff participants and Stanley Cup contenders. If Keith Jones and Danny Breer get this team back up into that standing, and I think they will in the next several years, I don't think it's going to be as long as some people think, would it be a great time to jump out then? Not really. Mm-hmm. I think I want to be around for some of the good times. So that could play into it as well. A lot of factors. Um, I don't have a, a set year. Uh, I think it's going to be a feel. Um, just curiously, I know I'm not supposed to be asking the questions here, but did you have it? Absolutely. That was the age you wanted to retire or was it a feeling? It was a feeling. I entered my last contract. It was a three-year deal. And my wife and I discussed the possibility. And after the first year of that deal, I looked at her. She looked at me and said, yeah, it's it's time to start to wrap it up. So it became a two-year process. And I'm happy I did it. I miss my colleagues. I miss the action. I miss the players. I miss the aspect of being live on the air. But listen, JJ, 
if I was still doing Sixers games, you and I would not be having this conversation on my podcast. So there, there are you know many what? benefits to retirement, and this is one of them. There you go. But you're a pretty smart guy, so you might have been able to pull off the podcast while still doing the play-by-play. Who knows? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> too, I, I tell you what, though, it has been. I've gotten to know you, Zoo, through uh, speaking to your class. We've done a couple other podcasts. Uh, which were fun, by the way. We should probably work on some kind of announcer's podcast. But, Let's do it. Let's um, do it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I have so much respect for what you did it for your career, but more so for you as a person. So um, it's been great to get to talk to you again. And uh, we've been saying this for quite a while, but we got to get together for lunch one of these days. <laughs> uh, I would love that. Um, I know you're going to get busy soon. So let's yeah. try to do that. In the meantime, JJ, thank you so much. All the best. And um, long may you wave, my friend. And the same to you, Zoo. It's been a pleasure. Check out our friends over at Philadelphia Sports Nation, a local Philadelphia sports site covering your favorite teams across blogs and social media. PHLSportsNation.com. Philadelphia Sports Nation. PHL Sports Nation. Enhancing your Philadelphia sports fan experience.